Welcome to a new episode of The Brand Called You. Today we have an old friend, someone I admire a lot, someone who's achieved a lot of success as a professional and as an entrepreneur, Naresh Kumra. Naresh, thank you very much. Nice of you to have flown down from Hong Kong for our show. Really good to have you here. Well, thank you, Ash. Uh, I'm flattered to be on your show. So thank you for having me. Thank you. And Naresh is uh, from IIT Delhi. He's an MBA from Darden. He's worked for Schlumberger, McKinsey, and Belden. And then he became an entrepreneur uh, with Jamatek, which he bought into and now runs it. And he also runs a very interesting investment advisory firm called La Rochelle. So Naresh, from working from, for others from 1991 to 2012, where you scaled incredible heights to working for yourself from 2012, tell us a little bit about some of the highlights of your journey. Well, I mean, Ash, you probably know this better than most, actually, that the last 30 years have been amazing for the world economy. Uh, we've all been really fortunate because of technology, globalization, so uh, I've had my share of luck. Uh, but if I was to think about the highlights, I think the one common thread for me has been taking the path that was less popular at that time. So the first highlight is my six years at Schlumberger. Uh, I was, uh, so I graduated uh, from IIT with computer science degree in 91. I was 21 years old. And uh, I chose not to go to the U.S. for a master's degree. Uh, that was a popular choice at that time. 75% of my classmates uh, from computer science went to the uh, U.S. I also didn't take up a job in IT. As you know, at that time, IT was very, very hard. Okay. Still continues to be, actually. And uh, I also didn't go for an MBA right away. So instead, uh, what I did was I uh, got a job with a company called Schlumberger in their instrumentation business. So a computer science bachelor from IIT, uh, IIT going to an instrumentation job was uh, as rare as it gets at that time. Uh, so I, my first assignment with Schlumberger was uh, in a city called Poitiers, midway between Paris and Bordeaux. Um, I uh, uh, got to my first assignment there was uh, working in R&D of electricity meters. Uh, I did not enjoy that. Uh, you know, I found uh, the job quite lonely because you're working on computer, writing firmware or, you know, tinkering with electronics. Uh, you didn't really get exposure to other parts of the company. So when my 90-day check-in came in with the local HR manager, the local HR manager said, you must be excited, you're in France. I said, well, actually, it's not that different from what I was doing back in college. Mm -hmm. So the, he was taken aback. So he said, what do you want to do? I said, is there something else I can do? He couldn't think of anything. He said, would you like to go to the factory? I said, yes. And he was surprised because, uh, as you would guess, the factory was nearby, but it was the other side of town, which is the less nice uh, side of town. And engineers in those days did not want to go work in the factory. But I was really happy. Uh, I really enjoyed it, uh, learned a lot. And I think the experience opened up a whole new world of learning and uh, uh, skill development for me that I had no idea. Now, here's how the story played out very interestingly. So uh, uh, a few years later, uh, Schlumberger decided to do a joint venture with uh, Crompton Greaves in India mm -hmm. to set up a factory to manufacture electricity meters. So uh, they looked around and uh, they were, you know, uh, they needed uh, somebody from India, young, early in their career, who knew the business and who had background in manufacturing. That was a set of only one, and that was me. So, uh, so you know, I opted for that option. I moved to India. Um, I initially was a project manager setting up the production, and later they made me the production manager. Um, I learned a lot. I learned how to negotiate contracts, how to do sourcing, how to build a team. Uh, I got C-suite exposure to people like KK Noria, who was the chairman of our board. Uh, he was the CEO of Compton Greaves. And uh, so I think the learning for me was that uh, if you take the path less traveled, 
the opportunities might be less, but uh, the availability of people to pursue those opportunities can also be far less. So you can actually have a really good uh, outcome. The second highlight for me was uh, my six years at uh, uh, McKinsey. So uh, the first two, three years, it was fairly typical. Uh, you know, you join as an associate, you work on a variety of different uh, clients, uh, different industries, different functions, uh, different uh, business problems. And then, you know, you and become McKinsey, a- And McKinsey, you were in the US. In the US, yes. Uh, I was in New York area. Uh, and uh, so, so I'd worked in uh, France for uh, two years, then in India for two years, then back in France for two years, and then US yeah, Business School, and then uh, McKinsey in New York. So, uh, uh, so two, three years, uh, you know, it was fairly typical. And I think it was year three, I had just become uh, an engagement manager and I just finished a project working with an investment bank, uh, doing a research report on uh, in the telecom sector on a segment called Metro Area Network, fairly niche. So on a Friday uh, evening, I was packing my bag, ready to go home. Uh, I had nothing to do over the weekend, so looking forward to it. And as it happens, I get a call. There's a partner on the other side. He had a time-sensitive project with a distressed asset fund who was uh, looking at, uh, this was after the dot-com crash in 2001, who was looking at buying the debt of a a telecom company that was in distress. The debt was trading at 45 cents on the dollar. They wanted McKinsey help to figure out if that debt was priced fairly or it was too expensive or too cheap. Mm -hmm. And they gave us five days. So we had to make a presentation the following Friday. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I never heard of a project at McKinsey that was less than a week. Mm -hmm. So I said yes. There goes my weekend, right? So, uh, but anyway, as luck would have it, uh, the presentation, which is actually going to be a call, not even a presentation, moved from a Friday morning to Thursday evening. So it was less than four days and the weekend. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I had to take a very different tact because, you know, uh, given the uh, situation. So instead of doing a whole holistic sort of market industry research, comparative analysis, I worked backward from the question. I said, okay, they want to know is the debt priced fairly or not? So I said, what are the key drivers? So I worked backward. So the day comes, I make a presentation. I only have two pages. The typical was that uh, when you uh, uh, present, make a presentation to your clients at McKinsey or for, uh, any consulting firm for that matter, you have a hundred page document. You have lots of work, yeah. right? I had only two pages, yeah. right? And the client was super happy. My answer was 45 cents of the dollar was too expensive. The right price was 20 cents to 30 cents. And here's my reasoning. And you know, I could see the immediate financial impact and that opened my eyes. And afterwards, I pursued a lot of work in private equity. I think in my overall six years, half my work must have been in private equity or with uh, entrepreneur-led companies. And I think uh, that experience was critical when I closed my management buying into Chamatai because I think it was because of that experience, I had this thought, I had this idea, and I had the experience on how to go and close a negotiate fund. So before I move to Jamatic, you know, you were one of the young leaders globally in 2010, recognized by Forbes. Why did you want to be on your own and not continue in the corporate world? I mean, with that kind of recognition at a global level, very few people have that. Well, um, uh, thank you. Thank you for the kind words. Uh, the, uh, you know, I think I was uh, at year five into McKinsey and, uh, you know, uh, consulting is after business school, as you know, Ash is considered at the postdoc, okay. uh, you know, after MBA, when you don't know what you do, want to do, you go to consulting. So that was my story. So I was in year five and I'd just become an associate partner. And you have a two, three year windows to get elected to a full partner. And I wasn't excited about the idea of being a consultant for the rest of my life. The problem was I didn't know what to do. So, um, uh, you know, like uh, everybody else in those days, you know, I used to get headhunter calls. I would go for interviews. I would get job offers. And typically these were big companies. And I just wasn't excited about that idea. 
So I was lost actually. So one day I was reading the Wall Street Journal and uh, I saw three ads of three different uh, career coaches, right? And uh, you know, it was a small ad and it would say something like, you know, looking to change career or looking for you know, a rewarding career, give us a call, something like that. Two were in New York City, one was in Boston. I made the call and I went and met all three of them. I didn't know what to expect. Finally, I selected the firm in Boston. It was called uh, Tom McNeil Institute of Executive Resources. In those days, I think they changed their name. It's called MDL Partners now. So I went and met with them and I finally signed up. So their approach was very interesting. For the first few months, they just spent uh, trying to understand me. They didn't tell me what to do. They uh, had me go through a lot of uh, psychological testing. They had me go through a lot of deep interviews trying to understand my background. Where did I come from? Why am I here? All that kind of stuff. And then they made the recommendation. They said, Naresh, you should be a business owner. Mm -hmm. I said, okay. So I'm a consultant working for a paycheck and I should become an employer. How do I do that? Mm -hmm. The challenge is, I don't, I've never run a business and I don't have the capital. And I think this is where I felt that sometime, uh, and actually oftentimes probably, getting external advice from good people is very valuable. They said, Naresh, you know, let's lay out a path for you. First, you should go work for a mid-cap or a small cap. Um, and they said uh, a company between half a billion to a billion dollars. So it's, in US context, it's like actually a small cap. And they said, when you go work for a company like this, you can get to run a business a lot sooner than a, at a bigger company. And because you'll be higher up in the hierarchy, you can actually build some capital through a bigger cash incentive and bigger equity incentive. All of that was learning for me. So I said, that kind of makes sense. All right, let's go find. Headhunters never call you for this job. I spent 15 months uh, looking for something like this. And finally, I found a company called Belden, which in those days was a billion dollar. And, uh, you know, they had, uh, up until that point, they had had incredible brand name. It was uh, Diamond and Rough. They had had uh, subpar performance and growth and uh, uh, profitability. They had just hired uh, a new uh, uh, CEO, young new CEO, ambitious CEO from a company that I highly respected, a company called Danaher. And I had an opportunity to be the first uh, new hire on the leadership team. I heard the story and I knew this was it. So uh, I was lucky I got the offer and I immediately accepted it and joined. So that's sort of how the journey came about. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I credit, uh, you know, where I finally ended yeah. up to TMIER uh, uh, and the people there who uh, gave me excellent advice. Wonderful. Then you uh, moved to Jamatic in Hong Kong and that's where you live now. Um, what does Jamatic do? So, uh, Jamatec is uh, a global leader in uh, portable air cooling. Uh, that's a bit of a mouthful. Basically, uh, we design, manufacture, yeah. and sell yeah. uh, evaporative air coolers, portable air conditioners, and dehumidifier. Evaporative air coolers are a very interesting category. It's uh, energy efficient, environmentally friendly air cooling. Uh, it's a category that's uh, fairly very attractive and uh, the company actually has built a really good reputation globally. We do business in uh, 70 countries today. Uh, we manufacture in China and India. Uh, we have uh, offices in uh, several countries around the world. And uh, the company is uh, 12 and a half years old. And I was lucky I joined uh, uh, when it had just completed five years. So I've been involved for just over six years now. And you got in uh, with a management buy-in. Um, how does that work and uh, what would your thoughts be on people who may want to do something similar? You know, uh, that's a great question, Ash. And uh, uh, actually, uh, when I was thinking about what my next step would be, uh, you know, and I knew that I was going to do Belden for some years and eventually become a business owner, capital was a big uh, challenge, right? 
So, uh, you know, the typical path when you think about when you don't have capital is uh, to go get a financial partner. So, uh, uh, thanks to my, you know, those uh, three, four years at McKinsey with Public Network. So, I had been, uh, you know, building that network. I had built that network in Asia as well. Um, and uh, so, so, that's one way. I think the path that's less commonly sort of uh, taken in Asia, it's actually fairly uh, common in the U.S., is a professional like, you know, uh, you and me, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, finding a, a generational change opportunity where, uh, you know, a family, uh, first or second time entrepreneur might have built a company and uh, they're looking to, you know, exit the company at some point of time, but not necessarily uh, uh, immediately, right? Uh, but they're looking for uh, to take the legacy forward and continue to build that company, right? So if you can, uh, you know, find an opportunity like that, build trust and come up with a good business plan that, uh, you know, aligns the interests on both sides, I think that's, a, uh, in my view anyway, I think that's a, a very interesting way to, uh, you know, become a business owner with the limited capital, and uh, it's it's a win-win on both sides. So, uh, so in this particular case, uh, actually, uh, you know, generally in such a case, uh, what you might do is uh, uh, you're the very first share that you own in the company you would buy, right? So in, in this case, that's what happened. So uh, I invested a certain amount of money to yeah. take certain ownership, and then because you're adding value, you can also earn more equity over time. So that's how this process works. There are lots of different uh, ways to sort of structure this, but that's the general idea that you lead as a professional becoming an entrepreneur, you lead and develop that opportunity and uh, align the interest and the business plan on both sides. Mm. And you may bring in some uh, small partners uh, along the way. Very interesting. So, you know, you spoke about you manufacturing in China. Um, You also set up a plant in India. Um, You've lived in Hong Kong and traveled extensively in China. What are the... uh, similarities, differences of doing business in China, manufacturing in China versus practices in India? You know, so uh, uh, that's a very interesting question. So my first manufacturing experience in India was, you know, back when I was 23, as I was sharing, uh, you know, the joint venture with And we set up a factory right close by in Udyog Vihar, phase one, right around where uh, the Oberoi and the Trident hotels are right now. Bharti mm-hmm. Airtel used to be in our neighborhood. They were a young company as well. So, uh, and then uh, uh, my first visit to China actually was in 99 uh, when I was at business school. I went for a business project to Beijing, Xi'an and a small village, uh, a five, six hour journey from Xi'an. In those days when you, uh, and you've traveled a lot too in China, Ash. So in those days when you uh, uh, travel to China, it felt like a place that was frozen in time. People were not very well exposed. They were very uh, warm and welcoming. They still are actually, but they were not exposed. They were very curious, right? Uh, it has changed a lot. So in 2006, when I moved back uh, from the U.S. to Asia and I started traveling in uh, uh, China and we built a big business there with uh, 50 sales offices, five manufacturing facilities, what I saw was a China that was very different. And I think the two things that stand out for me uh, and not necessarily different from uh, India in both dimensions, but uh, certainly I think uh, the highlight about China. I think the first one I have to say is the government, right? Um, the government is truly an enabler of business in China as surprising as it may sounds, right? Uh, if you want to do business, they understand scale is important. Um, getting land is easy. Uh, you know, you get land which is priced for manufacturing and not for commercial and real uh, residential. Uh, you can get land very easily. They'll make it easy for you to set up supply chain, etc. They will have uh, incredible infrastructure. Uh, and if you face any challenge that they haven't thought about, it's easy to go meet with them, have a conversation, 
and they will you know give you uh, you know support you uh, we recently uh, at jamatech have been doing a number of things in china it's just easy to go have a conversation with the government there and they really do their best to make it uh, you know uh, easy for you i think that's one and the second one is i think the people have evolved a lot i'm really amazed with the the uh, I, i think at some level the people in china are no different than people anywhere in the world sure. you know everybody i mean uh, and you actually you've traveled a lot yeah. extensively you know we often talk about that so people in china similarly as in other parts of the world they um, uh, want to do well in their life they want to grow they want to learn they want to have a good life for their family is the same aspirations and insecurities that everybody has it's no different okay. i think what you find different is i think uh, the uh, they're a lot more aware about the world um uh, they're a lot more innovative as surprising as it may sound the more creative and they are more courageous i think part of it is certainly the environment which uh, encourages you which gives you uh, sort of something to fall back upon i mean there's a you know uh, sort of a security safety net right uh, i think those are two things which i find very different in china uh, versus my first trip back in 99 and uh, and in most places around the world actually yeah in fact uh, i would agree with what you're saying because you know when we used, i used to go and see some industrial parks in china and the difference that i used to see was that the infrastructure was built first and then manufacturers are invited and the exactly reverse happens in india where they give you the land start your factory and then you start struggling for roads and power and water and everything else exactly big difference i, I think one thing since you said uh, talked about india as well um manufacturer so as you mentioned yeah. we are manufacturing in india right yeah. we've been manufacturing in india for about 4 5 years now my this ex- uh, time experience manufacturing in india is quite different versus uh, manufacturing back in uh, the early mid 90s uh, i think uh, you know it's become a lot easier yeah. i think there is still ways to go and uh, as you know and i think there's some good effort around yeah. that yeah. but i think the difference is today uh, it's possible to manufacture in india and uh, thanks to gst and a number of other major initiative uh, you know um, and the land has become cheaper so that's a great plus as well uh, we manufacture the exact same model in china and in india is the exact same manufacturing facility infrastructure it's uh, uh, as good quality here as in china and believe it or not it's actually slightly cheaper in india in india for exports than china right. for the first time in my 25 year career you know uh, engaging with manufacturing around the world i have found india to be more competitive now it's not a blanket statement for all industries all products but i think today in the certain segments uh, it's possible Uh, for india to be uh, uh, you know a center of manufacturing excellence mm-hmm. and i think with the, the moves that have been taken more recently and the ones that actually are being talked about i have never been more bullish about manufacturing in india than today fantastic fantastic so now moving into uh, some of your thoughts on being an entrepreneur um as you were building your business uh, you know and you really scaled up jamatic from a much smaller organization to as you said now present in 70 countries what were some of your key challenges as you were building the business you know the single biggest challenge uh, you know, for uh, an entrepreneur is always talent right i i think the big difference between uh, you know working for a larger company and a smaller high growth you know company is uh, uh, in the case of a large company the systems and processes are the one that keep it going for a long time you know you join a company like uh, GE or IBM i mean you know they may go through yeah. different uh, cycles at different points of time right but it's because you know that brand name carries a uh, talks for a certain system or certain process and that's what you join or pepsi or coke and so many others right um 
in a smaller, younger company, you don't have that, right? So the first and foremost is always the team, the people. And uh, if you can have an entrepreneurial team that is self-motivated, that's uh, you know passionate about what they're doing, and uh, uh, that has an ownership mindset, mm-hmm. that I think is 90% of your job done, Correct. right? And then, um, uh, so that's what we've been focused on. I mean, uh, we've made a tremendous progress, uh, but uh, you know, I don't think that's uh, an area will ever be done actually. Amazing. Okay. So now moving into uh, some of your thoughts when you uh, make investments from Lago Share. Uh, you've invested in several companies and you also mentioned that you invest along with some friends. What are some of the key uh, parameters you look for before you make an investment? So, uh, in uh, terms of so, so my investing in uh, sort of the early stage venture area, uh, I've done about uh, over twenty by now. Uh, you know, in, uh, so yeah. roughly I do two, three in a year. Yeah, and uh, it it falls in two different areas. I would say, Aish. I mean, the first one is uh, 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 you know a case where I've known the entrepreneur for a long time. Um, I trust them. Uh, for their motivation, I uh, admire them for their capabilities and uh, you know how they think, and uh, and they have an interesting business idea that makes uh, a lot of sense. Uh, so in this case like this, you know, I would invest. Uh, actually, starts uh, my interaction starts by uh, because I really care for the individual. My interaction starts by making sure that I can actually be a good thought partner for mm-hmm. them, right? Whether or not I invest. And uh, I, so I might be a business advisor. I'll ask question, you know, uh, and challenge. And because I have the trust, it's easier for me to challenge because they've known me for a long time. They know that if I'm asking a tough question, it's because I care. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so in a situation like this, that's how it evolves. We might continue a conversation for six, nine, 12 months. And then when they're ready to raise financing, right, I might actually already be engaged on the business plan, yeah. right? And, uh, you know, so I might have actually provided some inputs and then I might help them out to raise financing. So uh, oftentimes in a situation like this, I would probably lead the investment. And uh, so that's sort of the first case. I mean, I would stay engaged uh, again for maybe six months, one year, even longer in a more meaningful way. And then for a year or two after that, and then, you know, they're on their own, you know, they might follow on with a more institution round or something and my job is done. So, uh, again, it's more of a coach, uh, you know, and my interest is aligned with the entrepreneur's interest because I really care for them. I mean, my investment is tiny, sure. you know, for them, it's their career. So I tell entrepreneurs that none of the financial investors, their investment is ever as important as your career. You're putting your life into it. So first and foremost, you know, it's caring for you. Mm. The second scenario is uh, where uh, I don't know the entrepreneur. Right. And in such cases, uh, I always go invest with the people I trust. So people I've uh, got to know, I trust their intellect. I trust their judgment. I uh, really admire uh, their uh, network and, uh, you know, their ideas. And if they bring an opportunity, I would probably, uh, you know, uh, I try to understand about the business idea, but not necessarily engage deeply into the business plan because I trust them that they've done that. And maybe I'll uh, get to know a bit about the entrepreneur. Right. Uh, either uh, some research, uh, you know, online, maybe make some calls, maybe have a meeting. And then I trust uh, the person I'm co-investing with them to do that. So that's sort of how okay. it falls. And I think all said and done, it's a lot about the uh, entrepreneur and making sure that they have the right business idea. So with, you know, 20 investments, you must have looked at dozens more, which you may not have invested in. What are some of the mistakes startup entrepreneurs tend to make? So, uh, you know, entrepreneurship is, uh, and as you know this, I mean, entrepreneurship is a very tough journey, right? Uh, it's uh, lonely, it's uh, scary. Um, you know, uh, on one hand, uh, 
you are expected uh, to be very passionate and committed to your idea. On the other hand, you are, uh, you know, uh, sort of treading, uh, uh, you know, new spaces, new world, and you're learning. Yeah. So, so it's challenging, right? And at the same time, especially I think uh, in India, where oftentimes entrepreneurs tend to be very young and uh, uh, without a uh, lot of uh, work experience, uh, you're also getting a lot of inputs, which uh, sometimes can be misinterpreted, right? So, uh, so, so. I will just start by saying entrepreneurship is tough business and I have a lot of admiration for people who do that. Having said that, I think uh, the single biggest challenge I've found is uh, people who are so uh, strongly committed to their idea that they don't leave their mind open for experimentation and learning. That might uh, you know, mean a fine refinement to their idea yeah. and sometimes a course correction. And the beauty is in the uh, Silicon Valley world, there's a term called uh, pivoting. Mm. So it's not even a crime to change your idea. Right. You know, the word allows you. So I think, uh, you know, uh, while one, it's, it's good to be uh, passionate and committed to an idea, I think keeping your mind open about other possibilities and changing course when it makes sense. I think people, uh, you know, sometimes entrepreneurs struggle to do that. And I think that's the biggest uh, mistake I see. Interesting. So within almost three decades of tremendous success, um, what is the secret, um, you know, of, of your success in whichever area that you've gone into? I don't know. I have a secret. Uh, I'm sorry to disappoint you. I've just been, uh, you know, going with the flow. Uh, I would say there are uh, probably a few, uh, uh, you know, things that have really helped me. Uh, I think the first one has to be uh, hanging out with great people. I don't think I learned this. I think I was lucky that somehow it was imbibed in me. And I probably, as I reflect back on my life, I probably have to give credit to my mom. My dad, uh, uh, you know, was in a job where he traveled a lot. So, and we grew up in a small town where education, let's just say, was not the top priority growing up. So my mom was a school teacher, wanted to make sure that, uh, you know, my sister and I uh, paid attention to education. So she always used to stay, uh, you know, if you keep good company, things will work out well uh, for you. So, you know, so, so that's what she used to say. And I think somehow I, uh, that, you know, I imbibed that. So when I left home at the age of 15 to go to uh, DAV Chandigarh for 11th and 12th, I was lucky. I was uh, with great people. And I think that has just continued. I think I find myself uh, getting uh, attracted to people who uh, inspire me, who teach me, yeah. uh, who uh, care for me and who challenge me because they care for me. So it's easy to trust. Even when they don't agree with the ideas I have, I know that they're doing it because they care for me. And I think that probably is number one. Uh, I think the number two probably has been, uh, I think uh, I've always uh, uh, prioritized learning and exposure over immediate financial rewards. I don't want to say that uh, I've uh, made bad financial decisions. I think my sort of uh, uh, belief has been that if you invest in yourself, so if you prioritize learning and exposure, you are maximizing long-term value. So I think uh, a number of times I've taken up job opportunities, which in the near term paid less financially, but longer term have worked out well. I think that's probably the second one. Uh, third one, I would say probably is, uh, uh, you know, being passionate, but yet being open-minded. Uh, and that's been very helpful. Uh, last uh, is, uh, I think I've uh, uh, been lucky. I've uh, not been afraid to uh, make choices which were not popular. And uh, I think, uh, um, you know, I've been lucky that, uh, you know, those choices have worked out generally well. Lots of failures as well, but generally well. Wonderful. So my next question is a question that uh, is like a generic question in all our shows. Um, 
what is your biggest learning from your biggest failure? Uh, you know, uh, as you know, you don't go through life without having uh, lots of failures. Correct. Uh, many small ones and some big ones. So uh, I've had certainly my share of uh, lots of failures. So I don't know if it's the biggest one, Ash, uh, but it's the one um, I would say that uh, probably troubled me the most at that point of time. And in, in hindsight has been one of my biggest learning. And this is about uh, joining McKinsey. So I'll just go back in time a little bit. So I think I was uh, in year four or five at Schlumberger. Uh, so I was uh, 25 years old. And I started thinking about what next. And uh, so I decided I want to go to business school. And as I did research, I concluded that uh, after business school, I would want to work at McKinsey to, you know, to get broad exposure. As I was saying, you know, you join consulting because you don't know what to do. So, um, um, so I looked at business schools in the U.S. And believe it or not, I actually called uh, the McKinsey office in Washington, D.C. to confirm, you know, if they did campus recruiting at Jordan. And I was really attracted to Darden. Um, it's an amazing school, case method, small, very intimate, uh, uh, excellent uh, uh, teaching. And, you know, that's what I really wanted at that stage in my life because I was going to business school after six years. And you also so, sit on their board. Uh, now, yes, yes. So yeah. I'm involved with uh, Darden. I really admire, uh, broadly, I think University of Virginia is an amazing school. I really admire. I think it's a hidden gem, actually. Uh, and I'm glad it was hidden gem when I went there. Otherwise, there's no way I was getting it. But anyway, so, uh, uh, so I joined Darden with the idea... I'll go get, uh, hopefully have a chance to work at McKinsey. So sure enough, I, you know, I was lucky. I did very well academically. I uh, was very focused. I want to get to McKinsey. So McKinsey comes to campus for summer internship. You know, McKinsey makes you jump through a lot of hoops. And um, uh, so, you know, uh, you first go through resume screen. Then you have uh, lots of interviews on yep. campus. And yep. finally, they invite you yep. for final round of interviews to their office. So I went to Atlanta, five interviews and uh, a lunch meeting and a few breaks. So I've been through four interviews. I was pretty sure I'd done quite well. And uh, I was generally feeling uh, excited, but at the same time, a bit nervous. One more, and I'm quite sure I'm going to get an offer. And I think I just overthought it. Mm -hmm. I went for my final interview. I don't think I was focused. It could not have gone worse. Sure enough, I did not get an offer. And I was devastated, right? Anyway, I come back. Uh, you know, things worked out fine. I... Uh, 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 ended up working for the summer with another top consulting firm, had a great experience. Instead of one project during the summer in 10 weeks, I did two projects over 12 weeks, so I learned a lot more. I uh, got to go on a cruise to Bahamas, so that was also very nice. And they gave me, a, uh, you know, they f offered me to fund my second year of tuition at uh, MBA, so that was also very nice. So I come back, but I'm still focused on McKinsey. So uh, uh, second year, McKinsey comes back in again. Uh, so again, I go through resume screen, I go through all of the rounds, and I'm back in the office. Again, whole day of interviews. I've been through four interviews, I've been through the lunch meeting, and there's a break. But this time, and there are lots of other candidates. Everybody's very anxious because, you know, an offer at McKinsey, number one recruiter at MBS schools at that time, means a lot, right? It could change your life. So, but this time, I'm not worked up. You know, I'm really relaxed, and uh, so I go for final uh, interview. And, uh, you know, it goes well. I come back before I reach home. I have an offer. You know, the single biggest difference, uh, as I later reflected, was I was not afraid to fail. Failing did not mean a big thing, you know. And I think I had, con you know, conditioned my mind during that one year period in between, reflected that why did I fail the first time? Because I was too anxious. But this time when I went, I was not anxious about the future. I was not reflected, uh, reflecting on the past. 
I was in the present, in the moment, and I genuinely enjoy case interviews, and uh, so it went well. So I think that's my biggest learning. So uh, uh, I think it strengthened the courage, uh, you know, to go for a bigger decision without worrying about failure. I think that uh, I credit that failure to failure at McKinsey. Amazing. So an amazing career in Schlumberger, then uh, an MBA, then a consultant, um, then the Forbes list of young leaders, Belden, uh, entrepreneur, built it successfully, invest, uh, angel investor. What next for Naresh Kumra? That sounds uh, a lot better than it actually is, but <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you, Ash, for uh, the kind words. Uh, you know, I don't know, actually. You know, I've, uh, uh, I do know, I, I mean, uh, I've had six years since. Uh, six years at Schlumberger, six years at McKinsey, six years at Belden. And um, uh, I just finished six years at Jamatech. Okay. But the difference this time is I'm really enjoying uh, learning what I'm doing. I, uh, you know, I can't wait for Monday morning to go to work. And I absolutely love the people I work with. So, and I have a lot to do still. So, so I don't know. So, um, uh, so we'll see where it goes. But this so far so good. And I hope it continues for a, a lot longer. So we'll see. Rish, thank you very much. Your words of wisdom have been absolutely incredible. I've always had a lot of respect for you. I'm sure thousands of people who listen to our podcast will really enjoy listening to everything you've said. Thank you for flying down from Hong Kong and coming. Thank you, Ash. It's an honor. Thank you for listening to the Brand Called You podcast. Be sure to visit tbcy.in to join the conversation, access show notes, and discover fantastic bonus content. You can follow us on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Simply search for The Brand Called You. Thank you, and see you next week.